then all of a sudden I have a massive headache while I was driving. I tried to drink some water and didn't alleviate the problem. My mom told me to pull over and call 911. When I called 911, they told me that I was at the end of the county, so it took about 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. Everything just changed for me. The way the outside world looked was completely different. I don't know if I was hallucinating or if it was feeling of about to be at death's door. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, and I started thinking about all the things in my life. If I'm gonna die, and what would I leave behind, and would I be affected if I die? You know, I thought about my mother, I thought about her, she would be okay. I thought about my wife, I said she would be okay. Then I thought about my daughters. When I was trying to rehab, I was doing a lot of crazy stuff. I guess I was hallucinating at that point, and I was on a feeding tube through my nose, and I used to pull it out. I pulled it out twice. So they put me on two restraints and I had to stay in my bed for about two or three weeks just being restrained. But find something that motivates you. It could be that you want to be able to cook again. It could be that you want to be able to draw again and you know it's almost impossible for you to do it. Find something that, that, that is similar to that that could get you back to where you almost were as before. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A brain arteriovenous malformation, or AVM, is a tangle of abnormal blood vessels containing arteries and veins in the brain. An AVM can disrupt the blood flow around the brain and can sometimes rupture, causing a hemorrhagic stroke. Although they can cause serious health issues, they are very rare and affect about 1% of the world's population. In this episode, you'll hear from Greg Graham from Atlanta, Georgia. Greg suffered a stroke at the age of 41. I was an avid sports fanatic. I played basketball. I was a instructional designer and travel nationally in the United States and also internationally. Then the year before I had my stroke, my company downsized. So I got a truck and I was moving RVs across the United States. Family, married, two daughters, 13 and 14. I was married for 18 years. What happened was is I had a, uh, I had hemorrhage in my brain. I had this thing called an AVM, arteriovenal malformation. And um, when that ruptured, it left me numb on my left side. I couldn't walk. I couldn't eat. Couldn't do anything for myself, pretty much. I had to learn how to walk over again and um, eat, swallow again. My balance is off now. So I was driving on the interstate, and I was talking to my mother about a friend of mine that went to high school with me that had two strokes. And then all of a sudden, I have a massive headache while I was driving. And I tried to drink some water and didn't alleviate the problem. My mom told me to pull over and call 911. When I called 911, they told me that I was at the end of the county, so it took about 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. Everything just changed for me. The way the outside world looked was completely different. I don't know if I was hallucinating or if it was feeling enough about to be at death's door. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, and I started thinking about all the things in my life if I'm going to die and what would I leave behind and would I be affected if I die? You know, I thought about my mother. I thought about her. She would be okay. I thought about my wife. I said she would be okay. Then I thought about my daughters. 
and what I thought about them, it hit me. I was like, I can't die yet. So I spoke to God, asked him for another chance. And clear as day, I heard a voice say, okay, we got another chance to live. And then the sky wasn't as blue anymore and the grass wasn't green anymore. It was the natural colors. So after that, the ambulance came, brought me to the hospital. They did a CT on me and said I had a stroke, had an aneurysm. And then they flew me to another hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, about an hour away from where I was. And then they performed a clotting procedure to clot up my arteries for my, my stroke. And then three months later, when I got back to my hometown in Atlanta, they did a craniotomy to remove the AVM. Greg was in hospital for a total of six weeks. They wanted me to be stable enough to do the craniotomy in Atlanta since I had my stroke in Louisville, Kentucky, about five or six hours away from Atlanta, where I used to live. The thing was that I was so far away from home, I was dying to go back home. When I was trying to rehab, I was doing a lot of crazy stuff. I guess I was hallucinating at that point, and I was on a feeding tube through my nose, and I used to pull it out. I pulled it out twice. So they put me on two restraints, and I had to stay in my bed for about two or three weeks just being restrained. And that was pretty bad. But the worst part was I'm in a strange town by myself and no family, no friends. So I was ready to go home. When I had the operation in Atlanta, went home probably about two or three days afterwards. It's pretty weird because I'm like, I have a brain surgery and they let me go home two or three days later. The doctor that I had was Dr. Barrow from the University of Emory Hospital, one of the best neurologists in the country. He did a pretty good job. They thought that I would deteriorate more after their surgery, but my recovery process wasn't that bad. I didn't have any downside to what happened to me. I still was able to walk, but I still was off balance. But after all this happened, about a year later, this happened in 2017, me and my wife split up. So I had to move back home with my mother in, in New York. When I left my house, healthcare itself didn't work for me. Since I was the breadwinner, when I was living at the house, when I lost the ability to work, we got on um, government assistance of Medicaid. And once I left the house, they said, well, you don't have any children that you take care of, so we can't give you Medicaid. So I didn't have insurance. So a lot of the stuff I had to do was on my own. I had to figure out how to give myself physical therapy. I had to figure out how to give myself occupational therapy. The fortunate thing is that my mother She's retired now, but when she used to work, she was working with the occupational therapy, so she knew how to give me certain instructions to help me out with my therapy. Greg was also unable to return to work. I'm completely disabled, or the government considers me in the United States to be disabled, federally disabled, so I'm supposed to get government assistance. The problem is my focus. I used to be an instructional designer before, and also I did uh, the RV driving across the United States. I can't do the driving anymore because I get disoriented. So they're not gonna allow me to drive a big rig across the United States because I might crash. Well, the instructional design stuff, that takes a lot of creativity and a lot of thought. I can't focus like that anymore. So my career that I had for about 18 years, that is gone, I can't do that. Left side of my body is still stiff. My legs and my arms and my chest are stiff. Also, my left hand, it feels like pins and needles all the time. My balance is a little bit off as well. I have vertigo. and I just got over that 
they gave me some kind of treatment at a neurology center to help me with that. But my balance and my focus is a little bit off, but it's getting better from there. So my strength is back. That's a good plus. I could walk. I could even jog. But if you took me into a a crowded room, uh, I would not feel comfortable walking through there because I might stumble over somebody and then I'm a big guy. I'm 6'3", about 250 pounds. <laughs> and if I stumble over people, it's going to be hard to get me back up off the ground. Um, getting back into work, I don't know. I want to help out other people. I try to do videos of what it has been like to be a person that had a stroke and you know what's happening afterwards, how to look at life, how to receive yourself and be a better person. But going back to work like I used to go before, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that again. Greg also finds that he struggles to connect with his friends. It's very difficult because they look at me and they say, well, you're pretty much okay. You look fine. But they don't understand that each and every day I wake up with pain. Like last year, I didn't have any medical insurance. So they don't understand the things that I'm going through and they think that I'm all right. But my anxiety, my depression, my, my thought process of how I used to be before is not the same. So now they don't know how to interact with me. I, I find it better when I deal with older people or even newborns because older people know they're going to die. They understand what's going on. And newborns, they're trying to do the things that you're doing right now. And you see that. Like, for instance, you see a child trying to learn how to walk. You see them fall four, five, six, seven times, but they get back up and they try it again. Usually adults, when they fail at something, they stop. So I just find it more refreshing to deal with newborns and what we call over here senior citizens. The major problem that I had, and um, I, I got better with that, is dealing with my daughters in public. My daughters are fairly small compared to me, and they like to see things and move around and be children. It's hard for me to walk around with them because before I used to be able to pick both of them up and be able to walk around with them, but now I can't do that. I feel like I can't protect them. So I feel like a less of a man, but my daughters are pretty resilient and they understand what's going on with me and they have adjusted to me. It's hard because I'm used to being that person, but now I'm not. It can be very difficult for stroke survivors in America to get adequate aftercare once they leave hospital. A lot of times you can get in touch with different organizations, but then it comes to money. There's not a lot of things that's free for stroke people in the United States. Even when I told them, you know, I'm leaving my wife, I'm talking to the state government of, of Georgia and also New York. Well, we have a new health care system that you only can enroll in once a year in November. So what happened was when I left my house, I'll try to get into these different organizations. Okay, what insurance do you have? I don't have any. Well, you need insurance to do this. You need insurance to do that. So I'll go back to the state agencies and find out if I could get insurance. Like It's too late. You don't have any kids. You don't qualify for this. And if you do try to get the insurance that we have in this marketplace that we have over here, it's going to cost too much. And I'm like, I can't afford $8,000 uh, deductible every month for me to actually have insurance because I'm on a fixed income now. So it's, it's very much different over here when it comes to um, health care when you don't have insurance.
there was groups in Georgia that just, you know, you'll go to just to have conversation with. But for you to get physical help, like I had been, I had a stroke about two and a half years ago and I still haven't seen a psychiatrist yet. So there is no free psychiatrist for someone that had a stroke. You would think they would, but that's not a big necessity, especially at my age. They don't think that a person at my age should have something that I had. This is usually an older, older disease, or that's what they would consider to be an older disease. So when I come in, like I said, I'm six, three, six, four, about 250 pounds. They're like, you well, there's nothing that we could do for you, but what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to just figure it out on my own. And that's what I have to been doing all this time. As well as having a stroke, Greg also experienced a number of difficult personal circumstances that forced him to uproot and move to New York. There, he received the support and care of his mum, and he continues to work on his rehab to this day. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Greg on inspiring others. There are people that are out there that know what you're going through and they will help you out. You just have to be able to find them. So I'm trying to make myself transparent as possible so they can find people like me and get motivated and get off their feet and become independent because that's what we all want to be is independent. And his invisible disabilities. They don't believe that you have that issue because each stroke patient is different. It's hard to tell what's going on with a stroke patient because I can go to my neurologist and say, my left side is stiff. And he's like, he can look at me and like, I can't tell this. If there's no MRI, there's no x-ray or nothing that could show that my muscles are stiff. Let's hear how Greg has been using Instagram to help other survivors. I did that by myself. I, I just started networking with people and I realized there was a lot of people out there that had strokes and did not have an outlet. I had a friend of mine, his mother had a stroke. This guy I knew for about 15, 20 years, around the same time that I did. And he was a single parent, three kids, and his mother didn't live with him. And he worked two jobs. She had a stroke, nowhere to take care of her. He decided to take her on. He took her on and his blood pressure went up to the roof. And he went to two doctors and they said that you can't keep this up. You're going to die. Now, I don't know any of this information that he's telling me now, but he's telling me that he don't know what to do. He's at the lost words. Da, 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 da. I called him up out of the blue and say, hey, I want to speak to your mom because I want to connect with her because I don't have anybody to connect with. And I know she will understand what I'm going through and, and vice versa. So I go over there and speak with her. She's like, oh, you could cook. I'm like, yeah, I could cook. Oh, you could get dressed by yourself. I'm like, yeah, I can get dressed by myself. So, so can I. So after that day, he told me that was a great relief, Greg. It was like night and day. Once you talked to her and got her motivated to get back on her feet, everything changed and my blood pressure went down and you helped me out. You basically saved my life and I'm so grateful to you. So the reason why I bring that all up is that a lot of times we can't find those different avenues to go to those particular places, those different meeting groups. We have to make it on our own. And it was a good thing. Like you talk about Instagram. I find a lot of people from Instagram that are in the same situation that I am or even worse. And I connected with them. It's been therapeutic. There's videos that show how I try to do my own workouts, my own physical therapy, my own occupational therapy. I, I just want to be able to motivate people. 
like I said before, I was an instruction designer. I also used to do preach and street ministry. I used to also teach. So I'm comfortable speaking to people. I just know that there's a lot of people out there that don't have those avenues to go to those different places or to get motivated to get out of their bed because nobody around them understands what they're going through. I just want to show people that there are people that are out there that know what you're going through and they will help you out. You just have to be able to find them. So I'm trying to make myself transparent as possible so they can find people like me and get motivated and get off their feet and become independent because that's what we all want to be is independent. I used to be able to do all the things I wanted to do, travel the world, go to the UK. Now I can't do that. I have to rely on my mother. So I'm trying to get back to my independence. So my, my videos are all about that, how to become independent again and live your life. Greg is also focused on his ongoing stroke recovery. Physically, I'm probably about 70% back to where I was before. Mentally, I have my ups and downs. Uh, depression is a major factor for me now. I am better off now than I was before a stroke. I see life different. I wish that everybody had a near life this, uh, experience so they can understand how precious life is. It's bad, but it, that's the only way I can explain it. My neurologist tried to get me to a uh, psychotherapy and they did an evaluation on me. They said, I don't need medication because it's not that that I want to harm myself or anything that, that serious. It's more about not being able to be me. Like, I don't want to live with my mother. My mother is retired. I'm 42 years old, 43 years old. I don't want to live with her. I want to live on my own. I know I can't. So that gets me down sometimes. Things like that. I guess in the United States, there's so much fraud going around that people don't know if you're telling the truth or not. And especially with a person that has a stroke, unless you have a, a speech impediment or if you can't get out of bed, they don't believe that you have that issue because each stroke patient is different. It's hard to tell what's going on with a stroke patient because I can go to my neurologist and say, my left side is stiff. And I'm like, he can look at me and like, I can't tell this stuff. There's no MRI, there's no X-ray or nothing that could show that my muscles are stiff. So how can I explain that? And and, and nerve ending is the, is the hardest thing to treat. So it's, it's very hard for a government worker to understand that you are not able to do the things that you think or they think that you can do. So that's that's the difficult part. And he sums up how the stroke has changed him. I'm definitely not the same Greg. I was married before, and um, that was a difficult thing between my wife and I. She felt that I was the same person I wasn't. I'm like, that old Greg has died. This is a new Greg. And a lot of people, even my friends, and like I was telling you for my friends, family, they look at me and I'm like, well, you look the same, Greg. But I'm like, no, I'm not him. That person before, you know, his his thought process, his 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 ability to live on his own, his ability to do things on his own is, is over. He has a different mindset now. And I think totally different. My mom calls me selfish, Greg. I used to be the person in my family that everybody came to and everybody wanted to uh, get advice from. And now if you come to me and you want to get advice or anything from me, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't involve myself in that. So I guess they call me the selfish Greg now. And Greg believes that all survivors should have a source of inspiration. First thing for the stroke survivor, find some motivation. You know, it's hard to, to cope with the, the new you. 
But find something that motivates you. It could be that you want to be able to cook again. It could be that you want to be able to draw again. And you know it's almost impossible for you to do it. Find something that, that, that is similar to that that could get you back to where you almost were before. It's not easy. It's going to be hard. There's a lot of stress, a lot of work. You know, it's been about two years for me. and It's, it's still an uphill battle, but it's a beautiful thing. And for the caregivers and family members, especially caregivers, don't be ashamed that you can't do everything for your, your loved one. Try to seek help. Try to ask somebody to help you out. Don't be ashamed about that. Don't put all that burden on you because you're going to get stressed out. We are very difficult. We don't mean most of the stuff we say to you. We, we, I know we say a lot of hurtful things and you want the old person back, but we're, we're not coming back. It's a new person. There's a new life. And we both have to do adjustments. And a lot of times it's on your shoulders to take care of us. And we understand that. Find your outlets. Greg's stroke was the beginning of a difficult few years in his life. However, he continues to focus on the future and is passionate about helping other survivors overcome the difficulties they face after their stroke. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories. And they more or less said, oh, well, she's in the middle of the stroke and there's nothing we can do. I thought, my God, you know. But between the pair of them, they got him to send it for an ambulance and they took me down to the Newcastle General. I was in a coma for a week. Please do subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and would like to share a story, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.